seven, Stan Happy Friday, Mets fans. How are we all doing? Did you get a chance to watch the game last night? What a game. If you wanted to see nine Met pitchers in nine innings, each pitch in one inning, this game was for you. If you wanted to see some moonshot home runs from Kanha, Lindor, and prize prospect, prospect Wilson Alvarez, this game was for you. If you wanted a game to last more than Three hours, maybe going on three and a half hours. I'm not sure what the time of the game was. This game was for you. If you wanted to see five hit batsmen in a game, this game was for you. If you wanted to see the Marlins struggle, I don't even, did they wait a second? Oh, they did have a one, two, three inning. Yes, the Marlins did. But we saw the, the Mets go through their lineup five times. Scoring eight runs in the game. This game had a little bit of everything. And if you're a Met fan, you can't be disappointed. Now, why were there nine pitchers in nine innings? Well, I'll tell you why. Because there was a chance of rain uh, earlier in the day for the evening game starting at 6 p.m. So Chris Basket and Carl- Chris Basket. Chris Bassett and Carlos Carrasco pitched in an intra-squad game earlier on Thursday due to the threat of this rain. So Sean Sean Reed Foley made the start for the Mets against the Marlins. And right away, you know me, I say, oh, those bases on balls. And that's how this game started. Bases on balls. And uh, right off the bat, Foley walked the first three batters in a row. But he did show some chutzpah, though. Uh, Jeremy Hefner came out to talk to him. And immediately... He induced uh, Garcia from the Marlins to hit him double play, 4-3. McNeil with a good play. And then a 6-3 ground out uh, by Aguilar, and that ended the inning. So Foley escaped, walked the bases loaded with no outs, and escaped with just giving up one run. So that showed me something there with all intestinal fortitude. Hefner calmed him down, and he came back, and uh, he did the job. And I like Sean Reed Foley. He's got a live arm. He just needs to harness his control a little bit. Uh, like any young pitcher. So it kind of reminds me of Tyler McGill. The stuff is there. It just has to be harnessed. So what looked like it could have been a blowout early with the Marlins with the bases loaded and no outs. Only ended up being a one-run top of the first. So then the Mets answered back. Uh, Mark Conha showed me some power, boy. He got around on a pitch. And he hit it over the tent in left field, and that showed me something. And with his interview with Steve Gelbs, he was showing, he, he admitted he is so focused when he's playing, and he's pretty intense. He's got a great personality, but when he's on the field, he means business. And uh, Francisco Lindor said, okay, Mark Conha, you hit the ball out of the ballpark. Let's see what I can do. And boom, Lindor followed Conha with a blast to left field. So it was nice seeing Francisco Lindor show such power to left field. And uh, I think, like I said right along, I think this is going to be Lindor's year. You can quote me on that. 
And uh, I think he's going to hit about 30 home runs for the Mets this year. It was interesting with the uh, left-handers starting. They dropped Windor down to the third spot and McNeil down to the sixth hole. But the encouraging thing for Jeff was they did play him again. They want to see what he's going to do against lefties too. I thought maybe Robbie Cano would get the start, but McNeil's in there. And I love the fact that Buck Showalter is showing so much confidence in McNeil. And McNeil had a pretty good game. What a play he turned, huh? Uh, what a, I will talk about that later, but he turned in the defensive gem of the game without a doubt. Uh, and like I said, Kanha, boom, he smacked the ball off of Will Stewart, Will Stewart, and he just hung on a breaking ball. And, uh, when Dord hit a line drive, I mean, it was a back-to-back jacks, but when Doors was a line drive, hit pretty damn far. And just like that, the Mets were up 2-1. They had a chance. They had two more with two outs and the bases loaded. But Dom Smith went down on strikes to end the frame. Now, like I said, Lindor to me was the highlight of the game. Well, Wilson Alvarez, we'll talk about his home run later, was another highlight for me. But Lindor looked sharp to play all night. He smashed an RBI double later in the game into the left field corner. He got around on another pitch. So he had two hits, drove in two, and scored two runs before being pulled for a pinch hitter in the fifth inning. But uh, Lindor still managed to get uh, some good playing time in there. Uh, and that's what we need. We need an Edwin Diaz. Yeah, he came in for second inning relief, believe it or not. He pitched a filthy clean second inning. He was pumping his fastball up to 100 miles an hour. And uh, his slider looked fantastic. He struck out the first two batters he faced and then got Nick Fortes to tap one back to him for an easy one, two, three inning. So they couldn't even touch Edwin. And the guy I love, I say, you got to keep this guy's bat around. It was J.D. Davis. In his first at-bat, he was hit by a pitch. And it was directly in his left knee. And he went down, boom. And it looked like it hit the bony part of the knee. And by the way, that was his third hit-by-pitch in three games this spring. And after staying down for a few minutes, he stayed in the game. And his next time up with the bases loaded, nobody out, he drove a bases-clearing double to the wall in left center. I mean, what a solid hit. Way to go, J.D. And Eduardo Escobar. Uh, Ronnie Darling's a big fan of his, without a doubt, saying what a great hitter he's going to be. And he served as the Mets DH tonight, and he was a hitting machine. He went 3-for-3 with three singles and an RBI. Now, the two guys I've been looking forward to all spring on these telecasts are Francisco Alvarez and Brett Beatty. Well, Alvarez checked in behind the plate to start the sixth inning. To be honest with you, he hasn't shown me much to play till tonight. Now, in his first step at he hit a jam shot grounder right back to the pitcher. So, didn't really do anything there. But in his second bat, Alvarez showed exactly why he's the team's top prospect. He launched a solo home run deep into the night in the bottom of the eighth inning. What a blast it was. Now, Brett Beatty, the guy I saw, and I, I was telling you guys all winter, this guy's the real deal. He hits everything like ropes. Well, he's had a rough defensive inning in the seventh. He collided with Matt Reynolds on a high chopper. Uh, probably should have been Matt Reynolds' ball. And then Beatty couldn't handle it. A hard hit ground and was charged with an error. The Marlins scored a pair of runs in the inning due to that and would be uh, a would-be Brian Dayler Cruz Grand Slam died on the warning track. So the Mets escaped the bullet there. Now, everyone knows what a big fan of Seth Lugo I am. This guy, I still say he was meant to be a starting pitcher. 
but he's found his little niche with the Mets. And he's pitched his eight, he pitched the eighth inning for the Mets, working around a fielding error for a scoreless inning by Reynolds, which included one strikeout. So everything went pretty good for the Mets today, without a doubt. It was a fun game to watch. Like I said, Bassett and Carrasco were scratched due to the potential rain. They did pitch in the intra-squad game. And from what Ron was saying uh, and Gary, that Bassett actually pitched five innings. And they, they were laughing. Carrasco with his usual self. He struggled in the first inning. And tonight, for those keeping score, who was in the booth? It was just Ron and Keith. Uh, Gary revealed later in the broadcast that next week they're going to have a Todd Zeal coming in. Uh, I think one game to replace Keith. According to Gary, uh, this will be it for Keith for the rest of the preseason games. And then they mentioned that uh, one day, I think maybe uh, Wayne Randazzo, he does usually does a couple preseason games, and he'll be in the booth with Terry Collins. And Terry Collins is good. You get him on a topic, he just loves to ramble on, in a good way, of course. Uh, again, one of the things I liked in the game was uh, Jeremy Hefner calming down Reed Foley. Showed a lot. Uh, and, uh, and then the Marlins, they were talking about Derek Jeter and the Marlins and how Jeter probably couldn't stand the fact that it was a basically a losing environment since he was there and they weren't making any progress or attempting to make progress, trying to improve the ball club this year. But who knows what happened there? Uh, all I can tell you is I think we're not going to have to worry about the Marlins contending with the Mets, Braves, and Phillies this year. Although they do have good arms on there. Uh, Edwin Diaz came in. Uh, they didn't play his song when he came in. And he was asked about that by Steve Gelbs. Even he said, we're saving that till we get back to City Field. Like I said, J.D. Davis, he looked good. I love him as a hitter. And uh, Orze came in to pitch an inning. And what a story he is. He is because he had two forms of cancer. He had a battle uh, one year, and he has survived. And he's not going to make the team, but you got to root for him in the minor leagues. And the one thing I didn't realize is uh, they're using Pitch.com, the signal service, like the catcher Sanger. He uh, was sending out uh, – he hits a button on his wristband, and it sends a noise to the pitchers, and even the fielders know what's coming. So it looks like that's going to be the future of uh, pitch calling. You're not going to see all those fingers going down. It's going to be a little uh, bracelet on, or not a bracelet, like a wristband that with buttons, and you just send a signal as to what pitch is going to come in. And the way they made it sound in the booth was it actually comes from the dugout. So baseball has really come a long way, and it'll make it virtually impossible for teams to steal the signals unless they somehow tap into the frequency. I, again, I'm not a technical person, but... I like it, and there was even talk during the broadcast that this could possibly speed the game up. Uh, Gary was not a fan of the Otani rule, that's for sure. And he said, why did we have a rule just for him? Uh, valid point. I didn't even consider that. I considered the fact that if you're a pitcher and you can hit, you can stay in the ball game. But even like the, Gary was saying and Ron was saying that even as good as Jacob DeGrom are, and Madison Bumgarner, it's highly unlikely that they'd stay in the game as a designated hitter. So it does look like this rule was uh, put in just for Otani. And uh, during the broadcast, they kept stressing, well, how would you feel if you're another ALS team and they made a special rule for the Angels' best player to keep playing after he's done pitching? Point well taken. And as we mentioned before, Escobar looked really good. 
at the plate, and he hits the ball hard. And for a left-handed batter, he can handle that pitch up high, the fastball. So very few left-handers, if you throughout baseball history, almost all your best left-handers hit the low ball very, very well. Very few hit the high ball well. But Escobar can get around on it, and I, I like that. And here was an interesting fact. I know we're playing 19 games still within our division. I mentioned this in the broadcast, uh, the podcast last year, that the team with the best interdivision record in the National League East has won that division since 2013. So these games are going to be important right off the bat when we play the Nationals. Uh, even though the Nationals aren't going to be contenders, you got to beat the teams in your division. So uh, just remember that. I'm not sure what the case is going to be next year when we go down to 14 games within our division because now we'll play every team in the American League three times. But this year, let's win our division games. That's what's going to put us over the hump. Now it's time to celebrate some Matt birthdays. Happy birthday to Lee Mazzilli, the kid from Brooklyn who did good during the Mets' lean years and was the poster boy for the Mets during his tenure with the Mets. Happy birthday to Tom Glavin. Uh, a lot of people remember him for the last game blowout where he just got bombed. But Tom Glavin had a pretty good Met career. Of course, not the one he did with the uh, Braves. But he did win number 300 with the Mets. And that became part of Met folklore. So happy birthday to those two big Met players. Now, as far as transactions are concerned on this date, in 1999, the Mets signed the Bulldog, Oral Hershiser. And on this date in 2016, the Mets released Buddy Carlisle. Now it's time for today's Met trivia question and Jeopardy. Here is the trivia question. Can you name the three Met players who were runners-up in the NL Rookie of the Year award balloting? Once again, the question is, can you name the three Met players who were runners-up in the NL Rookie of the Year balloting? And who's ready for today's Met Jeopardy? We have two clues as always. The first clue is selected by the New York Mets organization in the first round. 23rd pick overall of the free agent draft on June 3rd, 1980. Second clue is believing him to be a more refined player than their top first round pick, Daryl Strawberry. The Mets assigned Strawberry to play rookie ball with other high school draftees while he was assigned to the Little Falls Mets of the Glass, Class A New York Penn League with players drafted out of college. So there's your two clues. Lock in your answers. We'll be back at the end of the podcast to tell you how you did. Now, I just want to thank you all for listening to the podcast today. If you're not a subscriber, please do subscribe. You'll be updated every time one is loaded. As soon as it's up, you'll be notified and you can check us out. We're here every day for you. And if you're not a member of the Facebook group, New York Mets Baseball Way of Life, and belong to Facebook, this is your spot to go to for all the best Met information, all the best Met interaction. You got it right there at your fingertips if you're on Facebook. Once again, it's New York Mets Baseball a Way of Life. Check out the group. We'd be glad to have you. And if you ever need to reach me uh, via email, you have a comment, question, whatever, I'm at philstan41 at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you. Any concerns, comments, questions, recommendations, you name it, I'm there for you. Now, since it is 
birthday boys today, uh, Tom Glavin and Lee Mazzilli. Uh, can't really focus on both, and we're going to do one of them during the offseason, and that'll be Lee Mazzilli. But today I want to go into detail about Tom Glavin. Yes, Tom Glavin, the 300-game winner and Hall of Fame pitcher. And his Met years were from 2003 to 2008. Now, Thomas Michael Glavin was born on March 25, 1966 in Concord, Massachusetts. He was drafted by the Braves in the second round of the 84 draft, and he was the winningest pitcher of the 1990s, winning 20 games or more five times. He won two Cy Young Awards, led the NL and win five times, led the NL and start six times, and complete games and shutouts one time each. Now, Glavin was elected, selected, I should say, to eight All-Star teams, won a World Series, and five pennants with the Braves. Glavin was also a player union rep since 1991, replacing the Braves' Dale Murphy in that position. He was an excellent control pitcher with the ability to fool hitters by changing speeds and location of his pitches often during an at-bat. He was also a good hitting pitcher with a career 186 batting average, one homer, uh, 25 doubles, two triples, 93 runs scored, and 90 runs batted in. Now, he began to fall off in the second part of the 2002 season and then was the losing pitcher in two postseason games. He began to feud with the Braves, and they refused to offer him the extra year he wanted on his contract. Now, Met owner Fred Wilpon pam pampered Glavin and his wife around New York. The Mets offered him a four-year, $42.5 million deal to come to the Mets. All of a sudden, the sudden former Mets rival was now a teammate, and the fans had to root for him. I never liked that. It's like when Roger Clemens came to the Yankees. I never like it when we have a player coming from a rival for to your your own hometown team. But it happens. And at the time, I was happy about it. And he made his debut in 2003, did Mr. Glavin. And he came to New York wearing number 47. He started opening day 2003 at a cold, windy Shea Stadium against the Cubs. There was a lot of excitement in the air, but it didn't go that well. Glavin walked the leadoff batter and gave up three straight hits. It was 2-0 before the first out. It was 4-0 by the end of the first inning, and the Mets lost 15-2 that day with Glavin taking the loss. His next outing was better. He allowed one run over five innings as New York beat Montreal 3-1 for the Mets' first win. For his first Mets win, I should say. Glavin won his next two starts as well, including a seven-inning three run outing to beat the Florida Marlins on April 20th. In May, he had a strong outing in San Francisco, going into the ninth inning allowing just one run as the Mets beat the Giants 5-1. to On May 24th, he returned to Atlanta wearing a Mets uniform, receiving mixed reviews from the crowd. Mostly, they were appreciative of the years of service and winning efforts with the Braves Mr. Glavin provided. He pitched his heart out that day, but was knocked down the fourth inning after serving up six runs, taking another loss. From there, he lost five straight decisions, eight of nine, and was 6-11 and 11 at the start of August. Not a good start to his Met career, was it? Now, on September 19th, he served up the first and only grand slam of his career to Jose Vidro in a loss to the Expos. It was clear the Mets were going nowhere this year, and they finished 66-95, and 95, last in the NL East. Lavin went 3-3 three and three the final two months, finishing up a disappointing 9-14 and 14 with a 4.52 ERA in 32 starts. Not the way Mr. Glavin or us Med fans had hoped it would go.
Now, in 2004, he did improve a bit, starting out the season by beating his old Brave teammates in Atlanta with a two-run hit, six-inning, two-run, two-hit, six-inning performance. He earned win number two in Montreal later that week with a one-run, seven-inning outing to beat the Expos 4-1. to Now, on April 16th, he shut out the Pirates over seven innings, but got no decision after the bullpen. Arbor Moreno, Mike Stanton, and David Weathers allowed seven runs in the eighth inning, blowing a shutout. Now, on May 23rd, Lavin really rose to the occasion. He threw a spectacular one-hitter at Chase Stadium and beat the Rockies 4-0. He struck out a season-high eight batters while walking only one. He bested his record to 6-2 and two and was named to the All-Star team in a Mets uniform, and things were looking good. Now, in that 2004 All-Star game, Glavin pitched a scoreless seventh inning, allowing a hit to Matt Lawton in the All-Star game, uh, which was played in Houston, Texas. The American League, unfortunately, won the game 9-4. Then, there was the taxicab car accident. Getting slightly injured was Mr. Glavin while losing his front tooth. He was shaken up off the field, and on the field, his second half went downhill. Unfortunately, he would win just five more games all year and lose 12. At the end of June into early July, he lost five straight games while giving up four runs or th- four runs or three more runs three times in a row, I should say. Uh, he closed out August with a sixth inning one-run victory over the Dodgers on August 27th, and he also closed out the season October 3rd with another one-run six-inning performance, this time beating the Montreal Expos. Remember the Expos? I still have a fondness in my heart for the Expos. I don't know, for some reason, I, I have a soft spot for them. Uh, the Mets finished the year in fourth place, and the Art Howe era came to a close. Lavin went 11-14 with a 3.60 ERA, striking out 109 batters while walking 70 and 212 innings pitched, which was the 10th most in the National League over 33 starts. Now, 2005 came in, and a new era. The Mets showed much improvement going into the season. Some of the credit goes to Met pitching coach Rick Peterson, who suggested he pitch more inside and use a curveball more often. The new manager was Willie Randolph, and the GM Omar Morena, Manaya, I should say, landed Pedro Martinez as the new Aces staff, as well as all-star outfielder Carlos Beltran. So the Mets were all in signing Beltran and Martinez. And Pedro began the year as the opening day starter, not Glavin. And Glavin pitched the second game of the year, getting knocked out after four innings, taking a 9-5 loss to the Reds in Cincinnati. He started 0-2 and pitched a strong game on April 27th against the Nationals. Glavin went seven innings, allowing just one run on two hits, striking out seven batters. On April 27th, the Braves came to town and beat Glavin once again, knocking him out in the fifth inning after he served up seven runs, including home runs to Andrew Jones and William Bedevin. In May, when the Mets went to Atlanta, the Braves beat Glavin again. They had his number, although he did pitch in the seventh inning before giving up four runs. By the All-Star break, he was 6-7, and seven, and then beat the Nationals again to get to the 500 mark. He remained at 500 the rest of the year until mid-September when he dropped off to 10-13. and 13. But he did finish strong, starting, at, starting out with a complete game and win over the Braves at Shea for a 4-1, 6 hit victory. On September 24th, he pitched eight innings in Washington, allowing just two runs to beat the Nats 5-2. Lavin closed out the year with another complete game, the second in two weeks, and earned the Pitcher of the Month award. This time, he shut out the Colorado Rockies at Shea with a spectacular two-hitter, striking out a season-high 11 batters. 
Now, Glavin finished out the year at 13-13 and 13 with a 3.53 ERA. So you could see he was getting better each year. And uh, that was second to Pedro Martinez, the ERA. And he struck out 105 batters and walked 61 and 211 innings of work in 33 starts. And that season, he was spokesperson for Volunteers of America's Operation Backpack, helping homeless children as well as Katrina victims. So Tom was a hero off the field, too. Now let's go to that magical year of 2006. Lavin and the Mets started the season with lots of excitement as the Mets had acquired Carlos Delgado, Paul Waduka, John Valentin, and Xavier Nady in the offseason. And it proved to be the best year for the Mets since 2000 as they won the NLE's crown, staying on top of the pack all year long. With Pedro Martinez sideline, Glavin got the opening day start, and he outdueled the Nationals' Vivian Hernandez for a 3-2 victory. Glavin won six innings, allowing just one run on six scattered hits. On April 14th, he beat the Milwaukee Brewers and then suffered a tough loss on his next start. On April 19th, he pitched eight innings against the Braves, allowing just one earned run, but lost to Tim Hudson, with a, who threw a complete game 2-1 to one win. On April 29th in Atlanta, Glavin threw another gem. He went out and shut out the Braves for seven innings, beating John Thompson 1-0. Paul Aduka's solo homer was the only run of the game. From that point on, the Mets and Glavin caught fire. Glavin won six straight games from May through May, and nine straight decisions into July. On May 4th, he shot the Pirates for seven innings as he went into stretch of throwing 17 straight scoreless innings over three games. On May 21st, he beat the AL New York team in the Subway Series, helped out by back-to-back -back homers by David Wright and Carlos Delgado. On May 27th, he went into the eighth inning in Florida, allowing three hits in the 7-4 victory. A month later, on June 23rd, he pitched a seven-inning, one-run game in Toronto, beating the Blue Jays 11-2 in interleague play. In July, he had three outings where he allowed five runs or more and was just one and four through the summer months of July and August. So he had a little bit of a meltdown when the weather got hotter. He had a big scare that August when he felt coldness in the left ring finger and was tested for a possible dangerous blood clot. The results were negative, and he was back to work for September. On September 18th, the Mets clinched their first NL East title in 18 years. The next night, Glavin beat the Marlins with an eight-inning, two-run performance. On September 30th, he closed out the year with a win in Washington, giving him his 15th win of the year. It was Glavin's best year as a Met as he tied with Steve Traxel for most wins on the club. He went 15-7, and seven, which was the second most wins in the National League tied with five other pitchers, and he had 131 strikeouts. Now, all these numbers were his Met best, and he posted a 3.82 ERA in 198 innings over 32 starts. He became the first Met left-hander in 30 years to make 30 or more starts in four consecutive seasons. Now, in the 2006 postseason in the NLDS, Glavin got the start in Game 2 of the NLDS against the Dodgers at Shea. He was in usual postseason form, throwing six innings of shutout ball, allowing just four hits, two walks, and striking out two. He left with a 2 nothing lead after Andy Chavez scored the first run with a single, advancing on a wild pitch, and a Glavin force play, leading to a Jose Reyes ground-out run. Now, Paul Waduka added a sack fly in the fifth as well. In the bottom of the sixth inning, the Mets tacked on two more runs with a Julio Franco ground-out and a Jose Reyes single. 
Glavin got the win as the Mets went up two games to nothing on their way to the sweep. Now, in the 2006 NLCS against St. Louis, he got the start in the Game 1 opener at Shea. Once again, he stepped up and was spectacular, pitching seven shutout innings, allowing just four hits and two walks, striking out two. Carlos Beltran hit a two-run homer, providing the Mets with all they needed in the 2-0 win over Jeff Weaver. With the depleted Mets pitching staff missing Pedro Martinez and Orlando Hernandez, Glavin got the call for Game 5 in St. Louis as well. Although the Mets scored first, the card struck. In the fourth, Albert Pujols hit a home run off of Glavin, and Rafael Belliard singled home another run. Glavin allowed one more run before his exit in the fifth and was the losing pitcher. The Mets lost the game in the series in seven games, ending a heartbreaking series after a fine season. Now, after the division title, Glavin felt good about the Mets' chances in the next few years and signed a two-year deal with them in hopes of winning another championship, as well as winning his 300th game. He entered 2000 season with 290 wins, and the Mets were proud that he would accomplish this feat in a Met uniform. 2007, the Mets returned to carry out a mission to get to the World Series and avenge their NLC loss from the previous year. It was a strong year, but the team collapsed in the final month, and we remembered as another year of heartbreak for Mets fans, and lost a playoff berth on the last day of the season. Lavin got the opening day win in St. Louis after the Mets saw the Cards raise their championship flag. In his next start, John Smoltz beat him in Atlanta, but Lavin was strong from, from there, winning four straight decisions until the end of May. He then lost four straight decisions, including two interleague game wallops by the Tigers in Detroit, where he gave up nine runs in four in the third innings, and the Yankees, where he gave up seven runs in four innings. On June 22nd, he pitched a strong one-run, eight-inning performance against the A's at Shea Stadium. In his next start on June 27th, he shut out the Cardinals for six innings, earning his seventh win of the year, and he was now 7-5 and five at that point. On July 14th, Glavin beat the Cincinnati Reds as he outdueled Matt Besselizzle. The Mets won the game as Lasting Millage singled off Mike Stanton the bottom in the eighth inning. Glavin rolled along with six straight wins into mid-September. And the biggest win of his personal career came on August 5th at Wrigley Field in Chicago. On a nationally televised broadcast game, he pitched six and a third innings, allowing just two runs on six hits, and he exited with a 5-1 lead. He went on to get the win and become just the fifth left-hander in history to win 300 games over the course of a fabulous career. He and his family were honored by the organization as well as the media at a post-game press conference and ceremony later at Chase Stadium. On September 30th, he pitched his final game with the Mets. It was the Mets' final game of the year, and they needed to win again in the playoffs after a disastrous week. The day before, John Mayne pitched a game of his life, flirting with a no-hitter into the eighth inning, giving the Mets much life and a much-needed win. But in the last game, Lavin was shelled for seven runs in the first inning as the Mets' playoff hopes ended, as did Lavin's career in New York. Many felt, out, felt he went out with their lack went out with their lacks and showed no emotion and no heart in the game. After a bad start to his Met career and a promising playoff run, it now ended just as bad as it began. Now in his Met career, in his five-year Met career, Glavin was 61-56 with a 3.41 ERA. He struck out 516 batters, walked 114 while pitching 1,005 innings in 164 games. 
Now he closed down his uh, career with the Braves in Atlanta in 2008, going two and four in 13 games. For his career, Lavin won two Cy Youngs. He was the Sporting News Pitcher of the Year award. He won that, and he made 10 All-Star games. His career record was a fantastic 305 wins, 203 losses. That's 21st all-time in wins with a 3.54 ERA. He has 2,607 strikeouts, which is 28th all-time, 1,500 walks, 12th most all-time, and 4,413 innings, 30th all-time, and 682 starts, which is 12th all-time. He has thrown 32 shutouts, 173rd all-time, and has 52 complete games. Uh, when his playing days ended, he became a color commentator and analyst with the Braves, and the Braves ended up retiring his number, 47, at Turner Field in 2010. And in 2014, he was given the ultimate honor. He was elected to Cooperstown into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Now, he and his second wife, Christina, have five children. They reside in Johns Creek, Georgia. And Tom coached his son's baseball and hockey teams. He is a Catholic and has done a piece for the Catholic Athletes for Christ. He has always been very active in charity work from the Rally Foundation to Cure to the Georgia Transplant Foundation. A good guy and a strong union for the a strong union man for the players and one hell of a pitcher. And that is Tom Glavin's career. Okay, now it's time to reveal the answers to today's trivia in Jeopardy. The trivia question was, can you name the three Met players who were runners-up in the National League Rookie of the Year award balloting? Well, the correct answers are Ron Hunt, Jerry Kuzman, and Steve Henderson. Ron Hunt was the runner-up in 1963 behind, you got it, Pete Rose, in 1968, Jerry Kuzman was behind, you got it, another great Cincinnati Red, Johnny Bench. And in 1977, Steve Henderson couldn't catch up to the Hawk. Andre Dawson was the winner that year. So that's your answer for the trivia question of the day. Now let's go to the Jeopardy of the day. Jer do you call it a question in Jeopardy? I've, I've got to do research on that. What's the proper terminology for that? Well, anyway, here are the two clues. First clue, selected by the New York Mets organization in the first round, 23rd pick overall the free agent draft on June 3, 1980. Second clue, believing him to be a more refined player than their top first round pick, Daryl Strawberry, the Mets assigned Strawberry to play uh, rookie ball with the other high school draftees while this player was assigned to the Little Falls Mets to Class A New York Penn League with players drafted out of college. The correct answer for this one is who is Billy Bean and Harvey Porras was the first one to come in first with the correct answer. Or should I say response. So congratulations to John Tierney and Harvey Porras on being the uh, two to come in first on both Jeopardy and Trivia. And that will wrap up our podcast for today. Uh, tomorrow's game is a radio game, so I'm not probably going to give too much detail on that game. And I think it's only available on the Houston radio network. But you never know. Funny things always happen where the Mets show a stream or whatever. But we'll see what happens. But we'll talk about the game nonetheless uh, on our Saturday podcast. Uh, again, I want to thank you all for listening. And check back for our next one, which will recap all the events of Friday. So in. 
Enjoy your Friday. Thank God it's Friday, and we'll talk Met baseball. How about Sunday? The Grom and Scherzer are both going to pitch in that St. Louis game. That should be a treat. We'll talk about that, too, in the coming days. So uh, a lot of Met baseball to talk about. So enjoy your day. Rest up. we got a long season ahead of us. Guaranteed to have the time of your life Because the Mets are really sucking the ball